The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to be talking about transitions in careers. Particularly with me today is James Zook, and James has had an interesting career in that he started as trained as a lawyer but never really practiced law. Instead, he's an expert in IT, both in IT projects and in IT products as well. He's established both business centers of excellence and project management offices in a range of companies from startups to very large established companies, and he's developed a bunch of compelling products in a variety of industries, from banking to finance to law to retail to manufacturing, transportation, and healthcare. More importantly for today, James has gone from being the expert in IT to the manager of experts and then back again to the individual contributor. And he's done that several times in his career. So the focus today is James' experience going from individual contributor, expert, to manager and back again. And that's what we're going to focus on. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Wanda. I'm really excited to be here. I'm looking forward to having your experiences. You know, I talk to a lot of people who go from being the expert to being the manager, but not very many people are comfortable with going backwards in the other direction. So I'm keen to hear about that. But let's start with the first transition. So you're working in the technology space. Mm-hmm. You're an individual contributor, and all of a sudden you are now managing a group of software engineers. How did that go? What was easy? What was hard? Well, you know, the, the, I had some stumbling blocks along the way. Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, managing them. Uh, a big struggle is getting to the point where you recognize that it isn't your, it isn't you that has to do the work, and it isn't necessarily work that you have to do, um, or work that has to be done the way that you do it in order for it to be done effectively. So. Um, Making that shift from I do it through I have a lot of mini-me's doing it for me to recognizing that you have individual contributors uh, who may have their own approaches, they may have their own ways of doing things, and as long as you get to the right results, uh, that's a successful team. And, and I think that's, that was a big struggle for me uh, when I first started managing software engineers. You know, I talk to a lot of people who are experts who say that the heart that they want the work done exactly the way they would have done it, with the same level of quality, the same level of standards, the same um, timeline, 
and that, that they keep trying to force people into their way of working. And so your comment is that doesn't work very well. Many means no, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And, you know, the, the, the thought just popped into my head that one of the things um, – one of the things that we learn in law school is that there are distinctions that don't make differences, right? So some things may be, uh, you know, we, we use the word different. So you may do a job differently than I do. Um, but in effect, your distinct way of doing the job isn't, it, it, it isn't something that's going to impact the result that we get. And part of that shift into being able to be an effective manager, I think period being effective manager, but particularly being an effective manager of other experts and professionals is recognizing that the distinctions in how people do things and how they approach problems doesn't really make a difference in getting the work done. So how did you get comfortable with this? The notion that there can be individual ways and that's okay because we'll get the work done that we need to get done. Was there a catalyst point? Oh, yeah. yeah it, it was one of those um, situations where it has to happen. Um, my, my first inkling uh, was actually when I was getting my MBA and getting to that point where you know, there's simply the volume of work is so great uh, and you're doing work in teams that you really look around and you say, I have to trust the people and I have to accept that the people that I'm working with uh, will do the work. Uh, as well, if not better than I would, even even though they didn't differ, even though they might do it differently. Uh, so that was that was a. Um, I, I always say to people that that was one of the most important things that I learned in business school was how to effectively work as part of a team like that. And then, at the time, I was managing a group of software developers for a small company, uh, and was you know so those thoughts were kind of rolling around in my head, and we had. Um, we had an issue that I think a lot of small software companies have, which is while we were working very hard on our products, we're very, very cool and interesting and innovative. Our quality wasn't what it might have been, uh, especially as our customers perceived it. And and we had a major customer uh, that told us effectively that your product isn't really any good. We're not very happy with with the work that you're doing and what you're delivering. And we're going to give you a short amount of time to fix it and fix yourselves. Uh, and if you don't, then you know we're going to go we're going to go somewhere else, and that would have effectively killed us as a company. So, the management team really got together and uh, and did a lot of soul searching about what we were doing and how we were doing it. Uh, and and I remember talking to one of our customers who said that you know whenever they would find a defect in the software. Uh, they would call us up and we would and we would immediately get on fixing it and we would have a fix back to them the next day and then they would test it in their environment and it still wouldn't work and would say, oh, we'll get it done, we'll get it done and we'd get it to them the next day. And, and she said that she would have been much more comfortable if we would have said, we'll do it in a week and have it be right than, than responding very, very quickly. And, and I was quite embarrassed when I said, oh, you want us to do it right, not fast. Uh, and, and that was a culture shift uh, for us. And it sounds strange to say it, uh, but I think that's, that's often the case in organizations when we're being reactive. Uh, so we really had to refocus what the entire software development team was doing and how we were approaching our work. It wasn't how quickly can you do it, but it was really focusing on quality and getting them to recognize that customer perception piece of it, that, that it's okay to tell a customer, I'll have that for you in a week, and have it fixed rather than rather than feeling like we were being responsive. Uh, so we made a lot of changes. I mean, we made a lot of changes in what was expected uh, of the team. 
uh, and and really, and what was expected not just of the development team, but what was expected of the of the entire organization in terms of focusing on goals, quality of our code, customer service, uh, and. That I think for me, that opportunity to reassess what we were doing and how we were doing it uh, was a really good opportunity for me to get out of my own head in terms of how we should be working. I couldn't work the way I had worked for years. Uh, and, you know, we set some very specific goals for people in terms of of quality of the work that they were doing, communication that they were providing to people. Uh, and, you know, we were touching base with people really doing kind of performance reviews, if you will, uh, on a monthly basis for a while. How are the changes working? What suggestions do you have? How do you feel about what you're doing? Uh, and really gave me a new experience in terms of understanding how people can work if they're focused on the goals of the business rather than being told this is exactly how you have to do things. You're right. I think that's a fabulous story because you're right that we've all been taught by a customer service mantra that you need to respond within 24 hours and so forth. So it's, it is interesting to realize that the rush to speed isn't necessarily giving a customer what they're definitely look, looking for. Mm-hmm. So I take it from your point, James, that you were doing this MBA program that gives you these grand ideas about what it means to lead. So you've got some theoretical stuff mm-hmm. in the back of your head rolling around. Mm-hmm. But now you have a very practical problem to solve. And the volume of the work is such that you cannot get your hands in and do it yourself. Is that the right oh. answer? Right that, that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. And uh, you know, there there was also. I mean, one of the one of the things for me about doing, you know, being in the management team of a small company and getting my MBA was I had that opportunity to to move things back and forth, right? So I had the, as you said, the the theoretical academic ideas coming at me in the evenings, uh, and then uh, going into a laboratory, if you were of. Uh, where I could then say, okay, well, what would happen if we tried that here? And then similarly take the problems from work back and uh, and try to get people to and make them part of the class. So it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting period. Well, and presumably there's something about the nature of the work where there is a bit of crisis. And you've got to get people now working in different ways, any rate, to solve that, plus whatever they're doing on a day-to-day basis. So we've got to reconfigure it all. And that takes some management. As you said, you're doing performance reviews on a monthly basis. That means you've got to have some time for management as well. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's actually, although the, the environment is different and the problems are different from a technical standpoint, uh, what I'm doing today is pretty much the same. It's, you know, how do we make improvements in how we deliver product and work with customers? And how do we uh, transition an organization um, to be more effective, right? A little bit more efficient, but more effective. It's not that people aren't working hard. Uh, people are working very, very hard. Uh, but how do we align them to work on the right things uh, with the right customer perception? I'm going to come back to that one for the notion because I'd love to hear your perspective on how you make people focused and more efficient. Before I go there, though, I want to spend a little bit of time on this trust because you said that you had to learn to trust people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest thing. If I've got a mini-me, it's fairly easy for me to figure out I can trust them or not. Mm-hmm. It's when you don't work at my pace and in my way and with my communication style that I start to question whether I can trust. So what advice do you have about how to decide who you can trust on the team and who you can't? The, 
the first thing for me, and uh, and I'm I'm generally an optimist, right? I'm I'm one of those glass half full people, and it, it, you know I I look at people and say. I'm going to trust you until you give me reason not to, right? So, you know, it's back to that trust but verify kind of thing. So uh, giving people tasks and seeing how they perform on them, right? Letting them understand, again, what the goal is, if not necessarily what the process is. Um, and then and then kind of allowing them to, to work in that space uh, and see what the results are. So I, I kind of... I. I start out willing to trust, and I think that's that's important. Particularly, a new manager coming in, either either a manager coming into a new team or someone who becomes a new manager is allowing people the opportunity to earn, giving people the opportunity to earn your trust. And then the second piece of it is, I think it's not so much a binary: I can trust or I can't trust. It's what can I trust. Uh, what can I trust, right? What can I rely on someone to do? So, uh, you know, if I have someone that I know will burn the midnight oil to get a problem solved and, and, and they will not let it go until the problem is solved, that's something that I can trust them to do. And I may have another individual who isn't going to do that, uh, but might be exceptionally good in figuring out how to communicate information to a client. I can trust them to do that. So I think it's Focusing on uh, on individual strengths uh, and trusting the people to do the things that they do well. Um, part of that is making sure. I, I, I sometimes call it hygiene. Right, everybody needs the certain things that everybody needs to do, uh, and uh, you know, make sure that that we've set that layer of expectations with people. Um, but then, you know, rather than saying I trust everyone in my team completely and implicitly in all dimensions, uh, it's I trust them to do the things that they do well. And the challenge for a manager then is identifying those strengths and then figuring out how to focus those strengths on the task at hand, if you will. And, and what is, how does that strength apply to what we're trying to do in our organization? Okay, so we're back to focus again. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to agree with you, by the, hand, by the way. We tend to talk about trust as a black or white, as in I fully trust you or I fully distrust you. Mm-hmm. And I think in business, it's, it's very rarely black and white. I think it's much more shades of gray. Is that I trust you in this situation. I trust you with this kind of work. I don't necessarily trust your skills or expertise in that kind of work. We need a different language. So you said that one of the ways that you – so you start with a willingness to trust people and that mm-hmm. you give people a task and a goal and maybe even a process and then let them go at it. Now, how much mm-hmm. freedom do you give people in that? So give me an example of how you would structure this for someone. Uh, well, you know, I, I, you know, I just um, – I just – did that today. I have uh, I have a member of my team here, and um, they work on uh, data reports for our clients. And I happened to get an email that was a, a, a list from an Excel spreadsheet that said, you know, okay, here's our priority list for all of those all of those data reports, uh, and we have other tools that we use to track incidents and enhancements and things and things of that nature. And I looked at it and said, hmm, I don't want that in an Excel spreadsheet. I want that to come out of the system that we use to manage our work uh, for a number of reasons. I only want one copy of it. I want everybody agreeing on it. Uh, so I emailed the two people that were responsible for that um, and said, hey, I see this list. Um, I'd really like it to come out of ServiceNow, which is this tool that we use for managing our services. Um, explain to them why and they understand why. This is something we've been working on for a while. Uh, and I said, you know, 
spend some time brainstorming. Figure out how you could provide this solution that our internal customers need, given this different tool set. Gave them a couple of guidelines uh, about it. You know, there's a, they put a ranking field in there. It's like, "Eh, I don't want a ranking field. I want priorities. I want high priority and low priority. Uh, And and they understand that and said, you know, let's, you know, let's figure out what what you've got. So uh, they're off doing that and we're going to meet early next week and I'm going to see what they've come up with. Uh, So I think I've given them a a significant amount of latitude in terms of what they come up with. They, they know kind of what the, the, the purpose of the document that we're replacing. Uh, They know some of the guidelines in terms of priorities that I want from an organizational standpoint, but ultimately what they come up with will be, um, will be what they come up with. And then we'll have that follow-up meeting uh, and, you know, it'll be an opportunity for us to discuss what they did and why and where they, deviated from what I'm expecting. Um, uh, I may give them some guidance, but honestly, I'm maybe it's because I don't have an answer in mind yet. I, and, and maybe that's part of it, Wanda, is I could sit down here and do that, right? I could put that report together and have it come out of the tool. But then once again, it's something that I've done as an individual contributor, uh, and it hasn't really raised the capability of the team or the buy-in of the team. Uh, so I let them go off and come up with a solution and show me the solution and then we'll talk about how well it works and whether or not it meets the client needs and and we'll go from there. So I get the sense then that you identify a problem, a problem mm-hmm. you know you could fix yourself, but it's you doing it. So the smarter thing right. is get the team doing it. So the team now has a goal, a thing we want to solve. They have a mm-hmm. sense of purpose on why it's important. Mm-hmm. They have some priorities about how does that stand relative to everything else we've got going on. Mm-hmm. You give them a bit of a timeline. Mind you, a short timeline in that yes. we're going to review this next week. Mm-hmm. And then you're giving them feedback. I want this mm-hmm. field. I don't want this field. I like how you've done that. This suits my needs. This doesn't suit my needs. And right. you keep reiterating on that. So it's not that you just throw it out and say, go and fix it and don't ever come back to me. You're guiding the process in a fairly structured way, but you're not doing the work yourself. Exactly. You know, sometimes people, you know, people will ask about my management style. And one of the things I point out uh, when I talk to people about my management style is I'm also an educator. And to me, a big part of my job as a manager is, you know, I can... I can tell you how to do something, right? Um, or I can teach you the 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 good practices. The I'm trying to figure out what the word I want to use is um, kind of the the priorities and the principles of of what a good solution would look like in this case, um, and then you know almost I mean, it's almost I've given them a homework assignment. Right, and we're going to meet next week, uh, and I'm going to provide them feedback on their homework assignment, and then they're going to go back and they're going to do their homework assignment again. And at the end of the day, uh, or the end of the week, or the, or the end of the month, or whatever it may be, uh, they will have learned how to modify a process in order to meet uh, meet the needs of our of our internal and external customers. All right, fabulous, James. Very interesting. I love this notion of being the educator, where you're teaching people priorities and principles, and then guiding them along the way. Not doing it, not telling them how to do it, but guiding them. We're going to take a break. Um, with me today is James Zook. 
James is an IT specialist both in technology, in uh, products and projects in small companies and large companies. I think the thing that's most fascinating to me about this part is the notion of going from an individual contributor to a manager, as in going from I do it to many me's do it for me to I allow other people to do it their own individual way. We'll be right back. When we come back, though, I want to talk about the other half of becoming the manager, which is how do you manage up? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is James Zook. Zuch, I should say that correctly. Um, James has been in the technology field for over 30 years, establishing business and analyst centers, project management offices, and helping develop compelling products in a variety of industries. He's also a passionate educator and a frequent speaker. We've been talking about James's experience the first time he goes from being an individual contributor to being a manager himself and learning to lead a group of software engineers into developing solutions for a client without having to do it himself and the difference between having them do it all his way versus allowing them to work in their own way. So fascinating experiences there. I want to turn now, James, to talk about a different kind of transition. And when you go from, when you're the expert and you get called by the senior leadership to come and present at, say, a management meeting or at a board meeting, it's typically coming to present your technical expertise in one format or another. As you transition to a manager, though, managing other experts, your conversations with senior leaders change and you have to learn how to manage up to communicate effectively with those senior leaders. So give us some guidelines. What's your experience with learning this? Kind of what missteps do you see, mistakes do you see along the way? Sure. Well, I, I think in, in looking back at my own career, I think that some of the mistakes 
communicating up the organization were very similar to the ones that I made communicating down in, into the organization, uh, which is making that incorrect assumption that the people that I'm talking to are just like me, right? And that the things that, the things that I think are important and the things that drive me are the things that they think are important and the things that drive them. So, uh, you know, putting, putting those presentations or having those conversations uh, with people uh, that, you know, you, come, you kind of come out of them and you realized I was talking, but I wasn't communicating, right? They weren't getting what, what I was saying. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in this case, I was able to rely on one of the technical skills, which is business analysis, understanding business and customer needs, uh, you know, to really sit down and say, okay, if I'm communicating to uh, a senior director that I report to, if I'm communicating to the CIO, if I'm, if I'm communicating to the head of new product development or the head of customer service in my company, uh, what are their needs? Uh, what, you know, what are we trying to do? Uh, what's what's the purpose of the meetings? I guess it kind of goes back to uh, to basic meeting planning, right? What's the agenda? What's the purpose of the meeting? And what is it that they need to come out of this, right? Are we are we having this conversation because I need to give them a status on progress of something that we're doing? Are we having this meeting because they need to make a decision? And if they need to make a decision, I need to understand what their decision making criteria are so that I can provide them the information uh, necessary necessary to do that. So uh, it, it really then was a very, very similar shift in terms of, oh, they're not all like me, uh, and they're not focused on the same things that I'm focused on, but instead understanding what their needs were and modifying my communication and my communication style to meet those needs. And did anybody help you with this one, or you just sort of figure it out through trial and error? Um, a, a little bit of it is trial and error. Um, some of it is working with peers and, and other managers, right? I can always go to, uh, you know, assuming I'm not reporting to the CIO, I can go to somebody who does report to the CIO and say, um, okay, you know, how does this person think and what do they want to know and, and what's the best way, uh, you know, do I need to come in and say uh, it's either A or B? Uh, and, and here are two reasons why it, it could be A or two reasons why it could be B and two reasons why not for each and, and go and make a decision? Uh, or do they want a 15-minute in-depth conversation about it? Uh, so some of that comes from, the, you know, peers or, or, or managers. Um, some of it comes from trial and error. Shock of all shock, some of it comes from just asking them, right? Uh, you know, what, what do you want to come out of this? How can I help you do your job better, as it were? Uh, and, uh, you know, probably not at the top level of the C-suite in a large corporation, uh, but lots of other leaders are more than willing to say, you know, oh, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to need in order to make a decision. That's great. I say to people all the time, they should just ask. You often get quite good feedback, especially yeah, exactly. if it's an ongoing relationship. It's, it's, it's scary that, that, you know, again, it's one of those things that, um, you know, when when you do it and when you talk about it, you say, why wasn't I doing that before? <laughs> we had, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a communications specialist who spends a lot of time in the C-suite talking to C-suite people about dealing with media and their own communications to the external world. Mm-hmm. And he says that he always asks C-suite uh, leaders what they want from people communicating to them within the organization, so communicating up. And mm-hmm. there were three things which are very similar to what you're saying here. One is, give me the top line. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Don't right. waste a whole bunch of time. Where are we? Number mm-hmm. two, why are you sure? 
How do I know you're sure? Great way to say it. (laughs) And then, and how I want that information will be completely dependent upon my style. Mm -hmm. So, for some people, that may be I know Joe in this area. Have you gone and talked to Joe? And the fact that you've talked to Joe reassures me that you've done your homework. And for others, they want a deep dive. Right. And then the third thing, back to your point, is what do you want from me out of this meeting? Mm -hmm. So, So, very similar analyses. The, one of the things as I talk to experts transitioning and learning to communicate up, particularly when it's two, three steps ahead of where they are currently, they cannot fathom how a senior executive makes a major decision with lots of money at stake and lots of risk mm-hmm. without having the details. Um, so they want to give the details. And in the giving the details, they completely lose the point. What's your experience with this? Um, I've, I've been in both places, right? I've been in places where I've, you know, where I've provided all of that detail, right? And, you know, fortunately or not, I've worked with some senior leaders that were very quick to say, stop, right? Go back, uh, you know, trim this out. This, this is what I need. So I had some, uh, let's say embarrassing, uh, but fruitful lessons, uh, early, early in my career, in terms in terms of making that mistake, uh, but I think it, it it goes back to asking that that question, and 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 I love the way you just phrased it, right? Uh, why are you sure? Um, the funny thing about it is, when we're communicating up, to some extent, we are the experts again, right? So. Um, you know, even even though we are managers, right? We are managing a team, but but part of that team is about being the expert in something, right? And it gets back to that notion of why are you sure? Uh, once you have the trust of of those leaders, once they begin to understand that when I come to you and say, you know, this is what you know, this is what's going on, and this is why I'm sure. Right. And here's the information that from my relationship with you, I think you're going to want to want to have here. Once you can get to that point, they're going to trust you. Um, so I don't think you build trust in the meeting. Right. I'm not going to walk into a meeting and wow you with all of the detailed data that I have to support my position. I'm going to build trust before the meeting in terms of delivering things that you need to have delivered, uh, being correct on questions uh, or, or things. And, and that may not be a result of my interaction with you uh, as a leader two or three steps ahead of me in the organization. That's going to be a result of my interactions with the people that report to you, right? Because that's what's going to happen. That CEO is going to turn to their CIO and say, you know, this Such guy, does he know what he's talking about? Um, and you know, I want the answer to be yes, and that answer is going to come. That answer being yes is going to come from my work with the CIO and my work with the people that report to the CEO. So I think that that part, the the trusting part, and the demonstrating that you have the expertise to be the person communicating what you're communicating um, is the work that you do. You know, in the months before the meeting. Very interesting. I certainly see that all the time with people that um, a senior leader trying to figure out if they're going to believe you or follow what you're asking or do what you have said you needed from a budget or in anything point of view. They canvass people they already know Mm -hmm. and ask, what do you think? 
Um, so if your relationships are not very strong with some of those individuals, you are on a back foot with proving that you know what you're talking about. Exactly. One of the challenges, though, so let me put you back in this place. You've got a bunch of software engineers that are working for you. Mm-hmm. You can't do the work. You right. can guide what they do, and you have to trust them. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to go to a couple of levels ahead of you, let's say to the CEO, and say to the CEO, we can't deliver this solution. Mm-hmm. This time frame or on this budget. We're going to mm-hmm. have to do it in a different way. Now, personally, you actually haven't done that work to know that that's the case. You are fundamentally trusting your team. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people who stumble at that moment. As in, I'm not into the details. How can I represent to someone who's asking me about the details? What's your advice in that case? The first piece of it, and, and I think you, you covered it, but I want to go back to it, right? You have to trust your team, right? And you have to show that trust. So, uh, you know, if, if I have them working and, and, and you know, the, the, they come to me and they say, James, there's no way we can get this work done in the time frame that, that, that you think it can be, um, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be a month. It's going to be two months, and you're going to have to go tell the CEO, or even worse, the client, right? Uh, that we're not going to that we're not going to hit that schedule. If I have doubt about that statement, and I go to a meeting with that senior leader, and that doubt is in my head, um, I failed, right? Because they will see that on me, and they will pounce, right? So I need to trust my team that they are accurate in, in their assessment. And, that, and that's kind of part of the first step that we talked about. How do I get there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once I've done that, right, I don't need to know all of the details. Again, I don't need to know all the details. I trust that they have the details. Uh, for me personally, if I have to deliver bad news like that, I want to be able to deliver alternatives, right? I want to be able to say, we can't get it done in a month. We can get it done in two months. Um, alternatively, you know, maybe we can cut this part of it out and we can give you this much of it in a month, or we could do it in a month, but it's going to require us to bring another person on board. And here are the risks of that. I mean, that's, that's what I want to have in my back pocket, mm-hmm. right? When I go in there. So I don't just want to go in and deliver the bad news. I want to go in and deliver the bad news and then solutions rather than problems. Um, and I want, and, and I want that from my team too. Just don't, don't just tell me it can't be done. Give me some options about how we can fix it. Um, so trust the team, demonstrate that you trust the team. And I think that you have to be comfortable not knowing, right? I can't anticipate every question that's going to be asked by a senior leader about a particular problem that we're solving. So if we go back to this example of, you know, a delivery that we were, a code delivery we were supposed to have in a month and it's not going to be there, right? Um, And then the senior leader who may come up and say, you know, well, what would happen if you, you know, if we took this feature out or or what would happen if I, you know, gave you another $100,000 that you didn't think that, that, that I, that I was going to have access to? To me, it is perfectly acceptable to say, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but this is what I'm going to do to find out the answer. And I think that, <clears throat> again, we, you know, there are things that we don't like doing. We don't like making mistakes. We don't like seeing like we don't have all the answers when we can't have all the answers. So trust your team. Demonstrate that you trust your team. Have some options in your pocket in case they want to talk about them. Um, but deliver the news and then figure out how you're going to solve it. 
Okay. I hear people say all the time, I got, they just don't believe that you can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think some of that comes from the from when you are the expert and you say, I don't know, we start to wonder as an expert, what are you doing? You're the one who's supposed to have an answer and opinion. Mm-hmm. But when you're the manager, it's inconceivable that you would actually know everything. But I find people just find that I don't know is weak. Is it, what they it, say it is. And I think it, I think it goes back to that, that shifting of um, when I'm the manager, I'm not the one that has all the answers anymore. Right? Uh, you know, I have people that have answers that I don't have. And to me, at least, it is not a sign of weakness to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go back and talk to my expert because I have an expert. Right? I've got a team full of experts now. Uh, and, you know, and I'm going to go back and ask them. Um, you know, maybe I have them on speed dial uh, and I can ask them right now. But um, I think, you know, particularly for people who have spent their the formative years of their lives becoming experts. I think that's one of the challenges we have in this space, right? Where I've been the expert. I've been the one that you come to and say, what's the solution to this problem? Um, When you make that shift to being a manager, it isn't just that you stop. I guess that's it. You stop being the expert. You don't necessarily lose your expertise. uh, But I think that for people whose uh, whose professional self-worth is centered around their expertise. That's a very difficult transition to make. I can agree with that one. No, you said something interesting there that I want to pick up on, that you are you don't give up your expertise, but you stop being the expert. Mm-hmm. I find sometimes people are in a straddle role, meaning part of their job, they are required to still do stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. Deliver stuff, sell stuff, build products, make trades, give legal advice. And a part of their role, they're managing. They're not being the expert. Have you ever been in, in a similar straddle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's often the case. I mean, even, you know, any, anywhere I've been, you know, my ability to solve problems, my ability to understand customer needs, my ability to... Um, to to come up with um, I want to say it, to to come up with interest uh, innovative approaches to to solving problems I still have to have that right um, I can't just have meetings and tell people what to do uh, even though that's not what I try to do as a manager but um, you know the difference is um, the kinds of problems that I'm asked to solve are different um, it's uh, you know maybe it's okay. My team hasn't been able to come up with a solution, so let me take a crack at it. Um, maybe it's the the problems aren't necessarily technical, but they're a little bit more process or business related. Um, but I always have to do that, um, and then sometimes I do it because it's um, it's fun um, and I enjoy doing it. So sometimes I'll, I'll I'll dip my hands in a problem that we're working on uh, because I can. Um, but uh, but yeah, you don't. You don't give up your expertise. You can't give up your expertise. It's part of your, um, it's part of your credentials. It's part of what makes you um, uh, believable as a manager of a group of people that are doing things. You know, you wouldn't uh, trust me. You wouldn't hire me to manage a construction crew. I could probably manage the people, uh, but I really don't know anything about construction. So I can't solve problems. Uh, I can't help them solve problems. Uh, that they might come into. And, and I think that's part of what we have to do as um, 
professional managers uh, or, you know, managers who are also in a profession. Right. So this notion that I help, that I have my expertise and I use that to help you figure out how to solve the problem as opposed mm-hmm. to I use my expertise to do it myself or I tell you how to do it my way. Right. It's interesting. I, I think it's a very difficult place to be, particularly when you have a production target against your name, like mm-hmm. you have to service clients yourself and you're trying to lead people and train them how to service clients on their own and sort of wearing those two hats is is a complicated complicated process and we put people in that all the time we do and and it, without training them on what that means right you know we we reward our best technologists we we reward our best contributors by providing them the opportunity to manage other contributors without necessarily dealing with the differences and the challenges, but you know, uh, you you know that well. That's what your program's about. <laughs> it's true. I find people who've been in careers for twenty five years, who've managed teams for twenty five years, but they've always been the expert managing that team. And then the first time where they're managing and not fully on top of all the details, it becomes a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Okay, James, fabulous discussion here. I really like this notion of in talking to senior leaders, trying to understand, or first off, not making the assumption that they are just like you. They don't necessarily have the same interests, the same way of doing things, the same drives, or the same focus. And to figure out what a senior leader's real needs are. What's the purpose? What do they need as an outcome? How do they make a decision? What are the criteria? And then matching your communication to suit that individual needs. And then if you can't figure it out from anybody else, why not just ask the manager or the leader what it is they need? Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back from this break, I want to talk about the transition we never discuss, which is you were a manager and now you go back to being an individual contributor. What does that feel like? What are the lessons learned and why would you do one or the other? We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, 
Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is James Zuch. James has been providing innovative technology leadership for over 30 years, both from business analysis centers of excellence to project management offices and including developing some compelling products himself. He's a fabulous educator and a frequent speaker on any number of topics, particularly business analysis and digital product strategy. We've been talking about James's experience in the first time he goes from being the expert, the technology software developer, to being the leader or manager of software engineers. And the notion that you don't just go from having a bunch of mini-me's to do exactly what you want to do. Instead, you have to learn to let other people work in the way they work with some guidelines, of course, not just to completely delegate. We also were talking about the next lesson, which is how do you learn to communicate up in the organization as the manager, particularly when you're not on top of all the details? And again, not surprisingly, it's not a very different answer. I have to figure out what that senior person needs to know, wants to know from me, and how they want to hear it. Okay, so James, I want to turn now to want to a transition we don't talk very much about because typically the model is you go up, 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 up. But you've made the choice on a couple of occasions to go from being the leader back to being the individual contributor. So why did you make, when would have you made that choice and why did you make it? You know, it, there there are a couple of things that that focus around that that kind of spin around it, and and a lot of it's kind of personal to me. Uh, so maybe less uh, things that are applicable to lots and lots of folks. Um, the first thing I'll say, and and I know we had ta- we had we had talked about this before. Um, just because you're not managing people doesn't mean you stop being a leader. So even in, you know, as I kind of moved in and out of management roles to individual contributor roles, uh, there's always been kind of a leadership component to it. Um, but it, it's it's really for me um, when I come to work, um, there are two things that I'm really thinking about. One of them is, am I enjoying? Am I having fun? Am I enjoying myself? Uh, and the other is, am I adding value to the organization? Right, and and then you know we can kind of go from value to am I being fairly compensated and, and all of that kind of thing. So, uh, for good or bad, I tend to get driven more by whether what I'm doing is fun uh, uh, first. And you know I've been in management roles, and management roles are fun, uh, can be fun, and we're doing things and we're making changes. Um, and then sometimes in my career, I've kind of looked at opportunities and said, oh, you know what, that's an individual contributor role. Um, it's going to be fun to, in a different way, I'm going to be able to add a different uh, set of values or a different value to an organization. So, you know, to me, it's not a question of promotion or demotion. Uh, it's kind of a lateral move around um, what am I doing? What am I learning? What challenges do I have? And how am I adding value to an organization? Um, and I can do that managing and leading a team. I can do that being someone that's individually solving problems. And I think you you can navigate a career that way where it's really going from challenge to challenge. And the fact that you're managing 
or not is is just a, di- a set of differences about the role uh, and uh, kind of what you can do in the role um, and what you can't do in the role. Uh, so, you know, clearly in a management role, I have the opportunity to um, manage and coach and train a group of people that are reporting to me. Um, in, uh, in other roles that I've had, I've also had the opportunity to, uh, to coach and educate uh, and transform organizations, but they weren't necessarily organizations that, that had a reporting structure to me. So I kind of weave back and forth between them. So in I like this statement that just because you're not managing people doesn't mean that you're not a leader. So, and you think about leadership as in coaching people, as in mentoring, as in transformation, as in altering the course of what a group is doing and accomplishing. And you see that you can do that sometimes as an individual contributor and sometimes you do that as a manager. Mm-hmm. Fair summary? Fair summary. And so for you then, it's much more a question of, am I having fun and is this the kind of challenge I want to be focused on or is there a different challenge? Right. That's that's exactly it. As 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 my career has grown, um, I have you know kind of you know to some extent solved a problem. Right. Uh, it made a change. Worked on an organization. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm you know personally me. I'm not a run the shop person. Right. I'm not the person that comes in to a well run organization and keeps it well run. Right, I'm someone that comes in to make a change, right? To do something different, to to hopefully do something better. Uh, and once that's happened, then the challenge for me goes away, uh, and I want to go find the next challenge. And and again, that's a very personal thing about me. Um, so in some cases, I do that in management roles, and in some cases, I do that as as an individual contributor. It, it's a choice of what's the next challenge, and. What does the next challenge bring to me? Um, and, and also kind of, you know, what's the next challenge? And then what might be the one that comes after that, right? Uh, I'm not necessarily thinking four or five steps ahead, but, uh, but I'm at least trying to think two steps ahead. Okay, so two steps, not just this challenge, because otherwise right. you end up with a very patchy career mm-hmm. where you're not building a track record of anything that you sort of stand on or are capable or doing. Mm-hmm. All right, so... When you are man- managing people, mm-hmm. you have the challenge of you can't get your hands dirty, but you have the benefits of being able to guide other people in their direction. Mm-hmm. But I'm presuming you also have some downsides. So how would you describe the downsides when you're managing? Or are there? Uh, well, you, you know, I think one of them is the, the level to which your hands aren't dirty, right? So, you know, we talked... Uh, at the beginning of the hour about, you know, a, a task that I just gave some members of my team, right? Uh, that's not a task I'm, that's not a task I'm completing. That's not a problem I'm solving. I'm letting somebody else do that. Um, and, you know, that might be something I want to do, right? So um, you're not, uh, you're not building, you're not solving as much as you are guiding other people. And, and that is a, you know, that's a benefit in its own, right? Being able to do that. But, um, it, you know, uh, sometimes the de- sometimes the manager of developers just wants to sit down and write some code, uh, and, you know. So that's part of it um, is is that you don't have that. Um, there's a there's a responsibility uh, that comes from managing people, 
uh, and and that can be that can be a downside, right? I don't necessarily know that I want that responsibility um, all of the time. Um, so I think I think that's another one. Uh, kind of kind of some of the uh, the HR and administrative components that come along with managing. Yeah, I hear a lot about that one as well. A lot of people, I don't want to do yet another performance review series and fire another person and do a series more hirings and all those kind of routines. Mm-hmm. Okay, now when you're in the individual contributor, you have some upsides in that you control your own destiny. Uh, mm-hmm. You, a little bit, relatively speaking, that you yeah. can get in and solve the problem and you're applying your own brain power to it. You have plenty of ways of influencing, but there must be some downsides to being the individual contributor as well. What are those from your point of view? Oh, definitely. Well, I think one of them, uh, you know, I, I, I always call it the project manager's dilemma, right? You know, if I'm a project manager, I'm working with a team of people, none of whom actually report to me, right? So organizational levers around defining performance expectations, right? Um, uh, when I... Uh, you know, if when I came into an organization and started trying to build some best practice around business analysis, but none of the business and business analysts reported to me, right? I could say, you know, here are ways that I think business analysts should be evaluated. These are things I think that they should be doing. I could influence people, but I couldn't actually make those changes. If I'm managing the team. I have the opportunity to make those changes. Uh, so, you, you know, the, the, the responsibility lever, the, the, the responsibility component that comes with managing the team also gives you effective levers to motivate behavioral change. Um, different levers than you might have if you are simply influencing but not managing. So uh, it, it's harder to do that when, they're, when people aren't reporting to you. Um, you, get a, you get a different set of resources, um, if you will, uh, when you're managing people, uh, when you're uh, coaching or guiding them. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So it sounds much more like it has to be, I think as you started this one, a very personal choice. There are some opportunities mm-hmm. and some disadvantages both in managing people as well as being an individual contributor. And it's a matter of beginning to say personally for me, for what we're trying to do in the organization, for what I'm interested in is a challenge, for how much fun I'm having, what's the right step now, and potentially the step beyond that. Fair summary? Yeah, it is. And I think there's also there's an organizational component to it. I think that organizations are getting better at recognizing, uh, you know, it used to be, um, you know, probably more decades ago, right, um, You there was a ceiling on your ability to be promoted and and be compensated if you stayed an individual contributor, right? It was kind of like that, uh, you know, if you think about career progression, right, the technical track ends at a certain level in the organization at a certain uh, compensation level, and then you had to go become a manager, right? And then that was a different set, and that kind of led you up to to, to more and greater responsibility from, from a management standpoint. Um, and more and more organizations have started embracing the notion that you can have extremely senior individual contributors uh, that we can highly compensate and give benefits to and, and respect in our organizations. Uh, so that notion that becoming an individual contributor isn't a demotion, right? Um, and it can be a personal choice. Um, and your organization should allow for senior individuals to become individual contributors 
without necessarily saying, you know, well, you were a vice president. Uh, as a vice president, you have to have so many people reporting to you. Uh, if suddenly you decide that you can go solve problems as an individual, this is the downside of that to your career. Um, yeah. So I think as, as organizations recognize that in, as a senior level individual contributor has a different value than a senior level manager, um, it becomes, I think, easier for people to do that. Okay. Interesting series of choices. James, thanks for being with us today. Um, I think the thing that is most fascinating to me out of the entire discussion is a very simple statement you started with at the beginning, that when you go from being the individual contributor to the manager, it's not a matter of I do it, nor is it a matter of I have a bunch of mini-me's that do it the way I would do it. It is a matter of letting people learn to work in their own ways and solve problems in their own ways with your guidance, of course. So, James, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Wanda. Thank you. All right. Now, next week, we're going to talk with Frederick Helgeson from S4K Research, and we're going to talk about Frederick's experience leading a team virtually, how they actually make it happen. So join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.